Hello and welcome to the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Cummings, founder of the jewellery brand Cleopatra's Bling. This month, we return for season two of the Cleopatra's Bling podcast, where we continue to meet the creatives and craftspeople who inspire our artisanal jewellery collections. Last season, we met with a beekeeper poet, a wild woman dancer and a mermaid historian. We're jumping back in for part two of this interview with my friend Julia Stone. Bringing the mermaid into the world in this really positive way and placing it in the hands of strong women who really respect themselves and feeling like that's the kind of re-messaging of the mermaid iconography. I loved The Little Mermaid growing up. It's just, I don't know, is it a bad film because it's about her sacrificing everything for a guy but it's I think it depends on the like the paradigm you're look you're looking at it through you know what I mean like I think you could say that it it encourages one element of like young girl's life but then on the other hand subliminally it is pushing her to sort of think of herself as you know a woman that will always need in some shape or form succumb to a man's um, needs and desires. And in a way, like, like we need that. We need that bad experience to then rebound and find ourselves. I think women need that more than men from my observation. I think we're naturally more naive. Yeah. Also, it just made me think then when you said that rebounding from a bad experience of of sacrifice Mm. I think we both have also connected on this like creativity before I said it this stillness which it is but my inspiration to really go deep down the rabbit hole of finding that stillness was was the heartbreak and was the pain getting thrown against the rocks was the only motivation to then really dig deeper because probably we have a preconceived understanding of what it will be because of the conditioning Mm. and then when that shatters then we're like oh hang on a second there are all these other things that I could be doing that's what happened to me personally I was like wait on wait a second like there are a million doors I could open right now yeah and I think as well when that shatters that illusion that you know a prince will come along and you'll have love and you'll follow this path the Disney the Disney illusion Mm. when that shatters everything shatters yeah. because you've been holding onto this so tightly as a young girl mm. being raised to believe that's the epitome of life is to stand next to a man and have him choose you. And, and I, I think when that illusion in whatever form it shatters, some people it shatters when they, they accept their sexuality. Some people it shatters when they um, maybe realize that they don't want to be with anybody and yeah. or they don't want to have children or whatever it is that shatters the illusion of what you've been fed is the normal and the healthy and happy and wonderful life yeah those those things then leave you with this vast open space of what world am I going to build yeah because I can build anything now without the layers of convention yeah because there are, a- everything is a lie so yeah. how do I start <laughs> <laughs> yeah Definitely. No, that's why I think the symbolism of the, any sort of mystical female symbol to me is really fascinating for that reason. Because mm. I think maybe the, the what I have a problem with is that they're dumbed down to something really attainable and all the mysticism and the darkness, all of that is erased in the name of 
a very well put together pretty girl. Mm. So that's actually the opposite of the the female. Mm. Actually, there is a deep dark side. Yeah, it is never in the in the representation of the Little Mermaid or any of those sort of Disney characters. So you don't have the anger or the rage or the or if you do, it's fleeting. Yeah, yeah. But it's never like a. Yeah, you don't have the transformative qualities that come with anything good. The pain of transformation is is the boiling of the fire and. Yeah. I think that's what I liked as well about the Hans Christian Andersen um, Mm. Little Mermaid who does all the same things that the Disney Little Mermaid does, but she actually not only sacrifices her voice, her beautiful singing voice, she sacrifices her tail to get legs. But part of the compromise as well of having legs is that every single time she walks, it's going to be like um, walking on glass. That's like it's going to be forever painful to have Mm. this man still makes the choice to do it. And at the end of the day, still doesn't get the guy. That tragedy is, is so profound. I mean, she ends up drifting and becoming sea foam and things that women go through where they, their whole body is transformed to Mm. bring life and bring creativity and to continue the path of life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I, I don't know if I can say that I don't agree with the film, but I would say probably in today's day and age, it could be deemed as too simplistic. Yeah. For the for the way that now women should be, you know, represented. In my opinion. I I just find it amazing as well that the mermaid as a symbol has existed at the dawn of civilization. That is an amazing thing. I mean, it was used at the time of Jesus to represent mm. dual dual nature. Yeah. All of those things are so ancient and so old. And she was saying about the future of the mermaid, hoping that it becomes an ecological symbol for the the health of the planet. And yeah, because that's w- like femininity as well. It's like respect of Earth. We would probably, which is you know, innately seen as a Mother Earth. If we respected it more, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. Mm. Just like the downfall of like feminism like centuries ago women were like spiritual leaders like it's all connected i think and a lot of the you know leaders of tribes were women and then capitalism came in and then women were at home looking after the children so like yeah probably the little mermaid 300 years ago would have been really badass (laughs) i guess at the end she got her voice back but only by the blessing of the circumstances and she that was, was tamed. At the end of the day, she was a tame mermaid. Yeah, I always felt she was more beautiful when she was in the sea. Mm. When she was in the wedding dress at the end on the boat, I remember thinking, oh, she looks really different now. She gave up so much. So I'm very excited to do this collaboration with you. Me too. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose the certain stones and the gold? Sure. And Well, I think the enamel work that we're doing on the mermaid earrings, um, like I've my, my love of enamel grew living in Istanbul and I think that's like, you know, I wanted to respect the tradition of jewellery, which is one of the things that I like doing most. Um, and so, we're yeah, I started doing enamel probably three or four years ago living in Istanbul. And then like, I don't know, it just sort of opened my eyes to a whole different color palette that you don't have if you just work with silver and gold. 
so you can sort of color things um, play with you know unusual combinations and palettes which you can't do with just your you know base metals um, and so then I like wanted to use pearls because for obvious reasons mm. it's from the sea the freshwater pearls and really like my love of the mermaid symbolism grew in Naples when I lived there for two years because a lot of the sort of founding myth of Naples is based on this mermaid called Partenope and like it's all about her you know jealousy and and love and complicated um relationship she had but then yeah then I just sort of started playing with the colors so for the two earrings we've got um like a purpley pink variation and then a green white one to represent all the like the scale colors and things and then we've got amethyst to um which is really to contrast the pink and purple enamel colors on one of the designs and then on the other one we're using like a bright um jade green to make the enamel pop the green enamel i wish i could have like a diagram here um and then on the other earrings we're doing like it's a different style of mermaid but she's holding a pearl so it's just like a lot of references to the sea um or while playing with color so there'll be also a necklace that matches sounds very beautiful yeah, and I'm excited i can also tell you it is very beautiful <laughs> i have seen them and i have one more question mm -hmm. because you just mentioned her partenope can you tell me a little bit more about her story? Because I know a little bit about it that you've told me before, but I think people would probably love to hear. Sure. So she was a siren mermaid, so obviously a singing mm -hmm. mermaid, um, who fell in love with a sailor. And then upon being rejected, threw herself into the sea. Legend has it that she was washed ashore in southern Italy, what is today known as the city of Napoli. Um, this lends the met metropolis her name. So basically, like, Neapolitans refer to Naples sometimes by her name. Wow. Yeah, and that's how I learned about it because I was like, what are we talking about? And then they told me the myth. Um, so Partenope is said to have also quenched the fires of Vesuvius. Vesuvius is the, the big um, volcano that created uh, so many problems in the area. Um, including Pompeii. Mm -hmm. So Pompeii was under ash because of Vesuvius erupting. It's still an active um, volcano now, which is crazy. So having been born from the blood drops of Archelaus, the river god, later in life, she was so confident in her musical abilities that she confronted the muses, challenging them to a musical duel and losing only because the muses are undefeatable in, as the sources of all creativity. Mm. So her image brings courage, creativity, pure beauty in all its natural forms and unleashes within the wearer a boldness that is the characteristic of the mermaid herself. So, yeah, it is an emboldening symbol. I really like that. Yeah. That's a really nice reference to talk about Partenope because yeah. that's actually the embodiment of this collaboration is about creativity, bravery, the muses yeah like to go and duel the creators of everything with your you know with your skill whatever it is and knowing you can't win but still going yeah that's what life really is it's like you've got to show up knowing that it's very likely you're not going to win the battle but the battle is everything 
I think we as a species have lost that fire to fight for what's right. There's a sense of apathy that has overcome everybody. And now more than ever, we have to really mm. ignite that fire. The stakes are really high and it's very possible we're going to lose, but we still have to show up. So hopefully that this jewelry brings out some feeling when you wear it, which definitely for me wearing jewelry that I love makes me feel, you know, stronger. Yeah, protected. Well, historically, it's like an adornment. Yeah. So, of like, you know, an amulet, really. You hear about the history of using it as a way to protect yourself, literally to protect yourself, having a gold plate across your breast, yeah. you know, so that the arrow won't pierce your heart. Mm. These are things that throughout history have been used, medals to, um, to defend and to create. Or the one you're wearing is was um, the breastplate of Zeus and Athena, the Gorgonian. So there you go. I love this one. <laughs> so sing us a little tune, Olivia. I heard Latin that you... Or <laughs> um, French or German. Well, we've been talking about Italian mermaids, so maybe a little song in Italiano. Well, actually, speaking of um, music and other languages, I did my ABRSM music... I think grade six singing. I can't remember what grade it was when I was in high school. So ABRSM is one of the British associated boards of music anyway. And then like I got nervous on the day, obviously, because they're these sort of stiff um, British people that fly out to Australia to examine all the ABRSM students. And I compl- and by that point, I actually spoke German because I'd already lived in Germany for a year. So I completely bluffed the lyrics because I'd completely forgotten the German German lyrics and my teacher Adam who was a freak musician was just like looking at me like "Mm, this isn't gonna fly but then I got my report back and he said that I had impeccable German pronunciation even though I'd made it up (laughs) just because I already spoke German so I just made it up but he wasn't checking the score but I thought I'd just flunked it so yep that's a fond memory yeah I grew up with music, which I think led me to my um, language sort of passion, I'd say, because for me they're intrinsically linked. I don't think you can be really good at language and not have a musical ear. Mm. Because you speak quite a few languages. I mean, you speak Turkish, which is where you learnt to make jewellery, but you also yeah. speak French. French, German and Italian. Yeah, and Australian. And Australian. <laughs> Yeah, German was my first language because I learned that at high school. Then I went to Berlin for a year when I was 16 Mm -hmm. to do exchange and then came back. And then I started French and I studied Arabic at Melbourne Uni. But like, I mean, that was so hard. And also, I think learning Turkish took up that part of my brain. Mm -hmm. There was no space left to remember (laughs) Arabic. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, I I would give a lot of the credit to the, the learning of languages to music growing up with that you know oral tradition your dad is a musician yeah and my brother so my brother's a um, classical pianist he lives in new york and my dad is a music teacher Mm -hmm. musician he's um yeah so he just he but quite in a structured way like quite a we had like a a pretty traditional like classical music training Mm. We started on classical music and did all the theory. Mm. Um, the yeah, the more like it wasn't like just 
wing it kind of thing. Like he wanted us to learn the grammar of the music, Mm. so to speak. So, yeah, I think probably I wouldn't have been able to keep that up and all the languages. Yeah. But I definitely still feel like very close to music. Mm. And would you say music is an inspiration for you with your work? Yeah, I would say so. Like I often look at concepts in, you know, music theory or like, I don't know, even recently talking to your husband about medieval music um, and how the illuminated manuscripts are really inspiring to me and that kind of um, the colour schemes used in that and like the aesthetic of those manuscripts. Um, and obviously I really like medieval music. Mm. <laughs> so like, yeah, that rem- that sort of was inspiring for me for a future collection or some kind of concept around that um, era. But yeah, I think sometimes I forget how much music has been a part of my life because I just grew up with it, so. Yeah, it was really normal. Yeah. And do you think the creativity of your dad, yourself, your family, your brother, playing music is a similar process to creating your pieces? I would say I think that from growing up in a family that's quite cerebral, I always have an element of my work which is very um, head-heavy. Yeah. So conceptually, I would think of things, rather than just sort of freestyle it, I always want there to be a form. Mm-hmm. So I think probably that's why I research things mm. and like the respect of tradition. Like I like classical music. I like the way that it's formed and what it represents and the structure Mm -hmm. as like an art form. And I think probably that's why I like to make my jewelry in a way that reflects me, but also respects the tradition of the art. Mm -hmm. So like using extremely um, incredible craftsmen from uh, Florence who've, you know, their speciality is diamond setting Mm. and they do it under a microscope in a very traditional way. Like I like that part of my job. Mm. Like skill sets that have been passed down generation to generation. Yeah. And like, I don't know, if growing up with a, a, a dad who would talk about concepts in music with us as kids probably mm. has pushed me uh, to research concepts in my field as well. Yeah, I can feel that in all of your pieces. There's, it, It's like every, every single piece you do, it has a story behind it and why yeah. it's been made. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I would say probably a balance of the, the the practice of the art plus the concept of and the theory behind it, mm. which I like. Just like language, I like studying grammar. Mm. Like I like to speak the language, but I like to know why. Like mm. you say it this way and not this way. Mm. So yeah, I'd say that I was very influenced by my family. I wanted to ask you one other question. There's obviously so much you can learn about a language and the grammar. There's so much you can learn about the process of making jewelry. There's so much you can learn about music. You can go so deep into the theory and Mm. it can never end how much you learn. You can live five lifetimes and never understand the depth of the theory behind classical music or any of the things we've talked about. Do you think there's a part of you that yearns to kind of always know more and that takes you back to why you go to your head instead of just trusting that you've kind of got it, you know most of it, it's all good? Um, I think I'm by nature extremely like thirsty for knowledge and like my dream is to like, I don't know, in my 40s do like a PhD on something. Mm -hmm. Extremely niche and weird but like um, I think I like researching and I think probably – 
having lived overseas for so long and starting this business and meeting so many different people made me feel very humbled because there's so much to learn and I'm always like oh my gosh I need to just get out there and get my claws into things and learn more I would say with my work I'm not perfect a perfectionist in that I want the shapes to be perfect or the way the jewelry is made like I want the jewelry to be like um well structured so that it has a long life but I don't want the shapes necessarily be perfect because it's handmade Mm -hmm. um but I would say there's probably an element of overachieving um and highly ambitious sort of tendencies Mm. but I, I don't know if I'm a perfectionist being raised in a family like what you've described with your dad and musicians who were aspiring for a high level of of access to to expressing music playing classical music is probably one of the most extreme forms of ambition to get to that place and it's quite niche yeah so yeah I don't know I think maybe in some ways I'm a perfectionist I'm very like hard on myself like I always think I can do more um but most of that comes from a drive of like positivity not because I'm not good enough I need to do more it's Mm. just because I'm like there's so much to do. Mm. I want to do more. Yeah. That's such a nice way to think about creativity is it's a passion for for experience. Yeah. You have this finite period of time on the planet and so what are you going to do with it? You just know that it's not enough time to do all the things you want right. to do. It's impossible. Yeah, and it's sort of overwhelming because you can sort of scramble around and grab at stuff and then not really do one thing well. Mm. That's Which true. Which is the, the trap, I think. But yeah, we just got to keep taking our vitamins. Bit of a walk after dinner, you know, warm cups of tea. Yeah. Not too much caffeine, don't want to dehydrate. Mm. It's um, clarifying, I think. And I think death is something we avoid talking about often. Oh, definitely. But really helpful to remind each other, like, we're all going to the same place. So it's natural to go, well... Yeah. What do you do before you get there? Thanks for being here today, Julia. Thank you for the beautiful interview. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to part two of this interview with Julia Stone on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. For more information on Julia, follow her on Instagram at Julia Stone and be sure to check out her upcoming album, 60 Summers. Our jewellery collection is also now online on cleopatrasbling.com. Each piece comes with a signed card from Julia and I. We really hope you enjoyed listening to these interviews as much as we've enjoyed making them. This podcast was produced by Liam Goff and the Cleopatra's Bling team with original music by Cameron Elva. If you liked the show, share it with a friend and leave us a few stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're signed up to the newsletter on cleopatrasbling.com to keep up with the newest updates on all things Cleopatra's Bling. Until next time, stay curious. Thank you.